the gospel according to Matthew. And seeing the multitudes, he went up onto the mountain. And when he was seated, his disciples came to him and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the lowly. They shall have the earth for their heritage. Blessed are those who mourn. They shall be comforted. Blessed are they who hunger and thirst for what is right. They shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful. They shall have mercy shown them. Blessed are the pure in Okay. Uh, blessed are the merciful, they shall have mercy shown them. Blessed are the pure in heart, they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, they shall be called the children of God. Blessed are those persecuted in the cause of right, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people abuse you and persecute you and speak all kinds of evil against you, lying because of me. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward will be great in heaven. This is how they persecuted the prophets before you. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Praise Praise you, Lord Lord Jesus Christ. Christ. <clears throat> Okay, so here we are at the Beatitudes, and in this community, the Living Beatitudes community, each of us should be able to give an insightful homily, right? <laughs> well, we'll just say I had my struggles. Of course, I read the commentaries, I checked out different translations, and I went through my own books even straying to one on the Old Testament, Old Testament Ethics, by John Goldingray. I only had to get to page 11 to find out why I was glad I had gotten it. For in a nice bulleted list, Goldingray records the Old Testament citations, a handful of them, and translates them into how we might be more godlike. For, you know, really, isn't that what we're all about? To learn about God's self-revelation and live more closely to that truth? Well, it can be a challenge in the Old Testament readings for me to hear that. So I really liked his presentation of the hidden message. So I'm not going to do citations from the Old Testament because you're going to recognize them, but then I'll tell you what his interpretation is of that. So, on the creation stories where God created the heavens and earth, the message is, be creative. There's a passage that says, it pained his heart. So be open to pain. Another one, the inclination of the human mind is bad from youth. So be realistic. I am going to implement my pact with you. Okay, don't give up. God tested Abraham. We test people. 
Their cry for help because of their servitude went up to God. So hear people's cry for help. I will be with you. So be there. That really opened up a lot of this Old Testament stuff for me. Because I've always focused on these stories that are sometimes really dated, different culture. So this got me thinking. I had never really taken a lot of those stories too seriously. You know, other cultures, other times. I mean, some of this stuff is 4,000 years old. My job was to respect the Old Testament scriptures as the root of Christianity. And that may be how I was... Um, the, the most I could claim. I, I needed to find a spot to do that. And sure, I'd pay attention to the passages that pointed to Jesus, because aren't we supposed to do that? And maybe we like the Exodus. That's a cool story. But most of it kind of doesn't seem relevant to my life. But this list opened me up to a new sense of possibilities in, uh, in my relationship with the scriptures, because sometimes I say, you know, church is great, but those scriptures, uh, maybe I can read them differently. And that's why I worked on different translations this morning. I'm, I just kind of think that accessibility is an issue, at least for me, and so I wanted to share some of that. So that's where I came up with the writing on Corinthians. It, uh, I just really loved it. It was so direct and kind of modern, and I didn't have to wonder what Paul was saying. I didn't have to know anything about first century Christians or Rome. I didn't know any history. It seemed like it was so accessible and so much a part of uh, today's lexicon that I could really hear God in that. And I'm convinced that it carries the energy of that pas passage that was orig originally delivered. Because the original Christians were nobodies, followers of the way. They were the ones looking for justice, hope, a shred of a promise that they mattered. And there were multitudes of them. That's there frequently in the Gospels, and multitudes were following him. Yes, the Pharisees and religious establishment were around the fringes with an agenda. And Jesus had secret followers like Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea. Secret because they had a lot to lose. Not so with the multitudes. But Jesus' message of hope and belonging resonated with the multitude of nobodies. And that's why they called it the good news. Today's Gospel reading from Matthew, those Beatitudes, is purportedly good news. When I looked at the conventional wisdom available through the commentaries, I could see why I wanted to duck and run for cover when the Sermon on the Mount comes my way. One site confidently concluded that each Beatitude looks at different circumstances of life and how Christians are blessed through their faith. Through these eight Beatitudes, Jesus teaches the virtues and values in life that result in blessings and rewards. No. I don't think Jesus taught anything about a reward. 
and I don't think that that listening to the Beatitudes resonates with me. I shouldn't want to run and hide when I read them. But with that interpretation, I do. It's a common approach and a signal state, a signal, the signal statement of God's embrace of humanity. But why would I feel I'd have to squeeze myself into the text if that was the way it really was written? Blessed are the merciful. Oh, how can I be more merciful? And blessed are the meek. Mm, let's see. Can I be meek? And should I be meek in everything? These are the thoughts that run around my head. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Okay, I got you there. I'm active in social justice. Guess I got that one covered. Check. Go to the next. But could it be possible that Jesus wasn't talking about us? Residents at the top of the global food chain, folks with cars and bank accounts and retirement accounts and homes, Luke inaugurates Jesus' ministry by having him read from the scroll of Isaiah. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, anointing me to bring good news to the poor, proclaiming release of captives, sight to the blind, and liberty to the oppressed. Could it be that Matthew's inaugural announcement of Jesus' ministry, which is the Sermon on the Mount, really might carry a similar message. It is the first teaching in Matthew after the calling of the disciples. Dallas Willard wrote in his book, The Divine Conspiracy, that we approach the Beatitudes as if they're a set of how-tos for achieving blessedness. And he calls that a new form of legalism for our inner Pharisee, uh, engineering righteousness. I like that. But by inaugurating Jesus' ministry with this teaching, Matthew announces Jesus' mission, and his target demographic is the nobodies. Willard writes, The real truth of the Beatitudes is that the blessedness Jesus talked about is in the kingdom, not in the condition. For example, when Jesus said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, he did not mean that they somehow merited blessing because of that condition, but in spite of the desperation and despair of their lives, they have been invited, specially invited, into the kingdom by grace. I can live with that. The Sermon on the Mount is Jesus' correction to the social stratification that bars some from full participation in the life of the community. The eminent Old Testament scholar Walter Bruggeman once said that to do justice is to sort out what belongs to whom and return it to them. All order. What biblical justice does is restore what is denied, whether it's freedom, human dignity, or the essentials of existence itself. Today, we might rewrite some of these. Blessed are the homeless and unwashed. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those gripped by depression. They shall be consoled. 
Blessed are the migrant workers and illegal immigrants crossing the border. They shall inherit the land. Inheritance is a big word there. It makes them automatically part of the family. Blessed are those who don't have a seat at the table. They shall be satisfied. Beatitudes announce the kingdom is open to all. You don't need credentials or letters of recommendation to enter, even if you're a nobody, or excluded from the in crowd, or marginalized even at peril to your life. God sees you and provides a place for you. You have a home. Really, you have a kingdom. That's what this is about. And upon hearing this, Jesus is calling us with homes, with resources, to do that fearless inventory of our heart. Have we hardened it to others? Are we creating conditions that convince them that they don't count? This is what all our social justice is based upon, how equitable our society is, how inclusive our structures are. And that is the path to a more just society. But there isn't a social program or law or government program that can truly remove the finger from the scales if our hearts are not transformed. We live in a culture that's hostile to persons living on the margins of society. We live in a nation that permits and rewards extraordinary inequities of wealth and power. Hearing this can make one think of them, the uber-wealthy, the Jeff Bezos of the world. But we really need to look in the mirror and ask how our choices reinforce inequity, climate change, discrimination, alienation, Perhaps a good place to start is thinking about who do we consider a nobody? Who's invisible? Who don't you want to have to deal with? The Sermon on the Mount states plainly that the kingdom of God is populated by just such invisibles. I want to say deplorables. For our God is good, just, merciful, full of hospitality, reaching out to those we find inconsequential, using nobodies to expose the hollow pretensions of the somebodies. Much of contemporary spirituality revolves around urging people to invite God into your story. But the message, I think, of the scriptures is entirely different that this is a story of a God who exalts the humble and the meek and fills the hungry with good things, sending the rich away empty. At least that's what Mary says, if you can believe a poor peasant girl that got pregnant before being married. So with that, I'll open to your reflections.